Good evening. Our reading this evening is taken from the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. So that's 1 Timothy chapter 5, and it can be found on page 1193 of the Church Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should first learn of all, sorry, should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality, 
and to do nothing out of favouritism. Do not be hasty in laying on hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Thank you, Sue. A lot of 1 Timothy is all about sort of leadership. And when we uh, begin to think about leadership, one of my uh, default things to do is to have a look at Amazon, because that tells you everything. Uh, and so when you type in leadership uh, into Amazon, uh, you get, let me just uh, zoom a little bit there, uh, you get over 100,000 little searches that come up, over 100,000 uh, books, uh, resources uh, that can help you uh, in your leadership. And, and don't even get me started on the podcasts that we see now, of the, the endless diary of a CEO or, or something that's just going on and on and on to, to help us uh, with leadership. Well, um, 1 Timothy uh, is a lot about leadership. But what does Paul say? Well, first of all, uh, let's go backwards. Uh, Let's remember what he says in chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Uh, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that, for that very reason, I have shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Now, Paul's leadership model is founded entirely in the gospel of grace. Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst, Uh, But he's also speaking to Timothy, and he recognizes that as he is writing this letter, uh, he's writing to Timothy, who is living out his leadership in the public eye. And he's meant to live it out in the public eye. Just uh, end of chapter 4, just above our reading, verses uh, 15 and 16. Uh, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Uh, Everyone will see your progress. Uh, Timothy is living this out, living this doctrine of grace out so that other people uh, will be able to see him. He's living uh, in the public view. So as we come to to this passage today, as as Paul uh, imparts some quite specific instructions related to Timothy's leadership, Uh, We're doing so as those who are looking over his shoulder, being reminded that that Paul's leadership is grounded in grace and it's living a a life from that. So with that in mind, let's uh, pray uh, as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We, We thank you for the reminder we've had through this passage and through all different parts of our service this evening, that our only hope is in Christ, that it is through his grace alone, not our own work or merit, 
Uh, and so, Father, we pray this evening as we look at some of these matters, we, we pray may help us understand uh, what it means for Timothy, but actually also to take that next step to say what it means for each of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul begins by sort of, uh, in verses 1 and 2, by introducing a really helpful principle for Timothy. Verse 1. Uh, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Uh, Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Just a a really helpful principle that that Paul sets out. It says, treat the people before you as family. Uh, Now, of course, he doesn't mean forget their birthday, ask for a lift at 2am and send amusing texts when people mess up. No, no, he's just saying, look, when you look out upon those in the church, treat them as family. You know, when you uh, look out at those men who are older than you, and you may have to say some tough things to them, he's not saying don't say tough things to them. He's saying just as you do that, just imagine you were speaking to your father. What would be the tone you would use? What would be the, the very physical stance you would use? How, how would that change what you might say? Uh, and then, likewise, yeah, younger men as brothers, not, not as those who you lorded over as being superior, but those who you stand alongside with. The older women as mothers, the, the care and reverence you'd give your mother. Uh, younger women as, as sisters, n- not as some sort of conquest, but, but a sister you love with absolute purity. Uh, and Paul is just helping Timothy in such a really simple way to really ground how to relate to people. He just says, look, just, just think of this. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. It's such simple wisdom, but such really helpful wisdom. It's really helpful wisdom for the leaders in the church, but actually it's helpful wisdom for all of us as we seek to relate to one another in the, the church. Just Think of each other as family when we are family. So let's try and live it out. I, I hope I, I can do that. I'm, I'm sorry if I haven't. But I pray that actually that that's how I might treat you all. And that in fact we can treat each other uh, just as this family. It, it, it's very practical and just very grounding to almost everything that he's going to go on to do. But then what follows is Paul has a couple of very specific groups that he's going to speak to Timothy about. And the first are widows. Widows. And just before we look at this, it's just helpful to take a step back and remember what we do when we come to a passage like this. How we begin to understand or apply this. Because what sometimes we might think is that, that Paul is, is sort of simultaneously uh, writing to Timothy and to us. So w- what we read here, we just jump saying, you know, what is Paul saying to me? That's a, a good res- sort of wanting to do that, good sort of initiative response to do that. But it's not quite uh, helpful in understanding how to read any sort of New Testament letter. Uh, rather, what we've got to do is we have to say, well, Paul is writing to Timothy. So, so what is the, the, the message that Paul is trying to convey to Timothy, particularly in his uh, culture? Uh, what's, what does Timoth- Timothy understand by this? 
What is the kind of the, the underlying message behind it? And then having done that work, we're then free to take the line to us. Uh, so the first job is to look, what does Paul mean to Timothy? And then from Timothy, how does that go uh, to us? So what we're going to do is, first of all, we're just going to look and say, well, what, what does it mean for Paul to speak to Timothy here? What would Timothy, what's Timothy's situation? What would he understand by it? Uh, and it seems that Paul is addressing four different categories of, of widows that he may come across. Um, and of course, widows in the time are, are those who may be, or they may not be, uh, may be those who are particularly vulnerable and in need. Uh, and that's what he's getting at. Verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Those who are really in need. And, and that sense of proper recognition is sort of give financial help. So here's the first category. Uh, widows uh, with family, sort of verse 4 and verse 8. And he's really saying, actually, if widows have family, well, it's the responsibility of the family to look after them primarily. They're the ones who are to, to, to kind of bear the burden, if you will. This, this again, primarily talking about financial burden. And the reason he says is verse 4, because uh, it's them repaying uh, their parents. They've, the parents have invested so much as into them. Uh, again, verse 4, it, it pleases God. Uh, and negatively, it doesn't deny their faith, verse 8. Uh, and then verse 16, it, it doesn't place a burden upon the church. So really he's saying, actually, if, if widows have family, tell the family to look after them. Uh, secondly, then, he draws out this group who's saying, um, widows who don't have family and are of good character. He's saying, these are the widows who, Timothy, you've got to look out for. Uh, these are the ones who are uh, really in need. Uh, they're people who are, uh, have no family to look after them, so there's no financial support uh, they're those who uh, have devoted themselves to the Lord, both uh, in their early years and at the moment. Uh, they're over 60, so they're unlikely to, to marry again, unlikely to have that sort of other support that's going on. Uh, and they've got a proven character uh, and are really in need of help. Uh, so those, Timothy, are the widows that, that you've really got to look out for. That's the second group. The, the third group uh, are widows who are uh, self-indulgent. Now, of the day in Ephesus, I mentioned before that widows may be those who are particularly in need, but actually they may also not be uh, because of the day that, that the rules of, of marriage and inheritance had changed. So it was possible that actually a widow now may be quite affluent. She may have all of her, the, the, husband and the, the, sorry, the money that her, her husband had been passed on to her. So she actually may now have uh, much more freedom than she had before. Uh, and Paul is saying uh, to those widows uh, who are using this freedom to uh, perhaps uh, express themselves, uh, to sort of flaunt themselves, maybe even sexually, uh, as sort of as sort of hinted at early in the book in chapter two uh, with their, their hairstyles. He's saying, actually, you're not to support them. And the reason really is, firstly, because actually they may not need it. They, they may have all these financial resources anyway. Uh, but secondly, he's saying, well, their attention is elsewhere. 
But they're not really seeking to serve the Lord. They're, they're seeking to serve themselves. And then lastly, the last group is the, the younger widows. And he's really saying to them, look, time is on their side. They're enabled to support themselves, but perhaps by um, finding some sort of work or, or more than likely uh, by finding another husband. And he's saying, look, if you uh, financially support them, what, what may happen is that they'll become idle, uh, that they may uh, become gossips, uh, and they'll just take for granted uh, what's going on. And indeed, they, they may uh, actually abandon their first over serving the Lord because they're so filled with desire to remarry again. You see, these are just uh, Paul passing on really practical guidance to Timothy uh, for him to, to look out. So as we then take that second step, remember Paul to Timothy, Timothy to us, what does that mean today? What does it mean for us to apply these verses in a context where we do have things like social services, where actually, by and large, uh, there is kind of an equal share inheritance and all these sorts of things. But what does it mean? Well, let me attempt to pass on um, some wisdom. And here's just the first thing which I think to say is that that family matters. Uh, Family matters. Uh, that That very early commandment of honor your father and mother still exists. And so when we talk of of widows here, uh, we could be talking of women or or men. And Paul, I think, would say, even today, the primary responsibility for caring for family is with family. Now, I know that life is far too full of grey for me to give you a point-by-point plan as to what exactly that will look like. It may well be you'd, you'd love to have a parent move into you, but it, you just can't. They may not want to. <laughs> Your sibling may not want them to. You may love to look after them, but actually they've got particular needs and they, they're better off somewhere else. There are so many questions to answer. But actually just that the gentle seed that I think this passage plants for us is to say that as family, we still have the primary responsibility to make at least be thinking about, praying about, trying to make some of those decisions as best as we're able to, to seek wisdom from others as to what that might look like. But still that same idea of, of looking after our family because it's pleasing to God, a way of actually living out our faith, it is one that we still must take seriously, but it might look in a wholly different way to whole different situations. But then secondly, um, the church does still have a responsibility. Now, in our culture, it may not be through financial support. It may be that actually in our culture, uh, those who are of a senior age might be the most well-off, or they might not be. It might be through financial support. That's why we actually have a hardship fund at church. But, but it also might be through other ways. It might be by trying to, to care for them by uh, visiting them. They have no family. They don't have people who regularly see them or care for them. Uh, and so actually by visiting, by caring, by giving friendship. Uh, we have a, a pastoral team here. Uh, could you spare half an hour a week to make a phone call 
to somebody in our congregation who's on their own. We've got a whole stack of people. Just half an hour to pick up the phone and be a friend on the phone. Or maybe you've got an hour every two weeks and you can go and visit somebody. Just one person. If you've got that time, speak to, to Jenny Payne at the end. Just to think, how can we as a church look after and care for some of these uh, older folk? A wonderful thing to do. So there's just two uh, little ways. Uh, there are more that we could say, more that we could apply. Paul here is being giving specific instructions to Timothy about specific groups and then trying to drag that across to today. Then let's look at the, the second uh, little group, uh, elders. Elders, uh, uh, leaders uh, in the church. Uh, we've already uh, had a little uh, glimpse, haven't we, in chapter three uh, about what elders uh, are like. And there's lots of troubles that have been with the leaders. Uh, but Paul is not talking about those troublesome leaders here. Uh, verse 17, uh, he says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well. Uh, these are those who are doing a good job. Uh, for those who are doing a good job, he says they are worthy of double honor, especially those workers preaching and teaching. So again, let's remember our little diagram. What does double honor mean? Uh, what's it going to mean for, for Paul uh, to Timothy? Well, I think the, the first way we might talk about honor is an honorarium. An honorarium uh, is a is a payment uh, given to somebody who isn't charging. A payment given to somebody who, who isn't uh, charging. And Paul is saying, look, uh, Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, uh, Luke 10 verse 7, the two references he, he quotes. Uh, he says, look, they are laboring, they're working hard, they're not uh, putting a bill in for their time. But actually it's good to honor them to help them to recognize that that actually they're they're giving up time they could be doing paid work to do it. So it's good to to honor them financially. Uh, But secondly, uh, he says, they're due respect as well. Uh, Don't uh, entertain gossip about them. Only uh, reliable accusations brought by two or three witnesses uh, should be considered. Not just the hearsay from there and here there and everywhere. But he, he goes on to say, doesn't he? Um, verse 20, but, but if they are singing, sinning, it, it's a serious thing. And so it must be brought out into public because they're expounding a public ministry. So they need to be held to public uh, account. And so because of that, he says, verse 22, do, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Uh, don't be quick to appoint elders. Again, you might remember chapter 3, verse 6, where he says not to be a recent convert. Well, this is why. Because they've got to be tested. Which is, again, what he says in verses 24 and 25. You need to give them time to see if they've got a good character. Either for bad, sadly, or for good. They need to be tested. And we have that little throwaway line in, in verse 23, which sounds like a throwaway. But actually, it is related to verse 22 uh, when he says, keep yourself pure. Uh, because, of course, that there was a, a teaching there that said, well, actually, that the really special Christians uh, are those who do X, Y, and Z, one of which was abstaining from alcohol. Uh, if, you, if you don't drink, then you are an extra godly Christian. Uh, and Timothy said, Paul's saying, rather, well, Timothy, 
you need that. We have no idea what the medical purpose was, but but he's saying it's for your good. It's actually helpful for you to do that, to take a little wine because of your stomach and frequent illnesses. So you you don't need to to follow this uh, law, sort of legalistic teaching, because it's about Christ, it's about the gospel. And so it's for your good. So then what... If this is Paul uh, helping Timothy to think about elders, that those who are worthy of, of double honour, to treat them well, well, again, what does that mean today? How does that land today? Well, I think it means that, that leaders uh, should be given that same double honour. That it's good to give that payment. I'm very thankful for the Church of England, that they, they recognise that, that actually that they're given honorariums, uh, that clergy are, are paid stipends, not salaries, they're, they're paid so that they don't have to work. I'm hugely thankful for the congregation here who support that and go with that. I, I think we can also take the, 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 sort of the next step along and, and apply it to, to staff and say it's good that we pay our staff properly. It's a way of honouring them. It's a way of caring for them, which, again, as a church, we've always thought to do, and we must try to continue to do. So it's good uh, to pay people and to give them what they're due. Uh, but also, it's good to, to give them respect. Now, let's just uh, clarify what this is not saying. Uh, we could read this and think, if anybody, if one person brings an accusation against an elder or a leader, we should ignore them. And kind of maybe, like me, your sort of safeguarding hat goes, that's not what it's not saying. It's not saying that, you you know, unless there are multiple witnesses, you must ignore any accusation or or claim that's made against a leader. Um, That's not what it's getting at. Um, uh, Rather, I I think it's saying leaders should be treated fairly. We have procedures, (laughs) policies, which are good it just means that, that things go in place. I have procedures to follow to help keep you safe, and the, that goes around the other way as well. <coughs> it's being treated fairly. I know far too many stories of churches where uh, this verse has been taken and leaders have taken advantage of it and done things they shouldn't have done because they've been seen as infallible. Uh, but I also know lots of plenty of stories where the churches have treated leaders very badly. No, we've got to be fair to them. So please pray for the HR committee, for for Roger as he chairs it, and the members. They'd be those who are helping us as a church to love our leaders and elders. And likewise, they uh, they should be tested and not hastily uh, appointed. So you had widows, we've had elders, and then very quickly, we're actually going to jump onto chapter 6, which I, I forgot or I forgot to ask Sue to read, so it's entirely my fault. Um, we're looking at 6, it's 1 and 2, because it, it follows on to the same section. So let me quickly read that. Uh, it says, uh, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who are believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and they're devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Uh, Very quickly, let's remember our our little 
way again, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to us. Uh, slaves here, uh, Paul saying, look, um, if you're a slave, you should treat your masters really well as if you're serving the Lord Jesus. Uh, and just as a quick one again, slaves doesn't mean sort of what we understand by sort of the slave trade. Uh, it's more akin uh, to sort of employment. And he's sort of saying, look, it, you should treat your masters really well, actually, especially if they're Christians. There might be a danger to think, well, they're a Christian brother. I can do what I like because they'll forgive me. And he's saying, no, especially if they're Christians, treat them well. Uh, and so really, uh, the so what today is just in our employment, work hard because it's fitting to the Lord. Now, that's just very, that's very quick on the slaves, but uh, those are just three very specific categories, widows, elders, slaves, that, where Paul is helping Timothy to understand how he relates. But here's the big point I think that's really helped for us to remember. Family. Those very first opening two verses, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him if your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. If we live that out and apply it across all our relationships, if we seek to love our neighbor as ourself, if we seek to, to do good, if we seek to say, I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus like he served me without expecting return, if we apply that across the board to these areas and to others, if we live out this life as family and really live it out, then how different our Christian community would be compared to the world around us. There's lots in these passages to think of it. Some will be applicable to us, some won't be. But let me leave us with this. How might we live out our faith in such a way to demonstrate the gospel to our family, to our friends, so that others around us cannot help but say they really love those other people. They really care for them. There's something different. I don't know what it is, but I want to know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, careful wisdom of Paul. And Father, while we recognize that some of it feels in a different culture to our own, we, we pray, Lord, you'd help us to, to take those lessons and apply them today. And Father, we ask that whatever it is you've laid in our heart, you may help us to live it out and act upon it today. In Jesus' name, amen.